How many of you can testify with an amen that God is faithful? Amen. You ever had a time in your life where you didn't know what you were going to do and then God changed everything? The two uh, most strategic words in the Bible are, but God. And there we were helpless and hopeless. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins without help, what happened? But God, who is rich in mercy, quickened us. But you know what I found out? I have had that experience countless numbers of times since salvation. No, I wasn't dead in trespasses and sins, but I felt trapped. Felt like Israel by the Red Sea, right? And uh, we get to those situations, and God has designed those situations so he can show his power, show his glory, show his mercy, and show his love. You might be in one of those situations today. You might be with your back up against the walls, and what am I going to do? Get ready. <clears throat> Get ready. God's the one who's going to come through. And we may look around and see in our society and in our culture, what are we supposed to do? And what hope is there? <clears throat> well, think about this. Where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. That tells me America is either in for judgment and God's through with us, or it might be he's getting ready to do something great in us because we don't deserve blessings, but we do cry out for his undeserved favor, which would be grace, right? And when we think about other people, we can pray for other people and say, Lord, the way they're living, they certainly don't deserve your blessing, but I pray you would be gracious to them and uh, discipline them and bring them back to where they need to be. That may be you today, too. And even his discipline is not something to dread is something to cherish because he loves you and he's not going to let you go too far into danger. And so think about that as we pray this morning. Pray certainly for people who need healing. Pray for people who have faced death and are uh, suffering with grief in their lives. Think about people who are in uh, captured by sin Think about people who are struggling with a marriage, people that are struggling with rebellious children. Think about people who are struggling with the load that their parents have dumped on them, maybe. Think about all of the things that people go through, all of the storms in life. And when the Bible says that our suffering is common among the brotherhood, one of the ways you can take that is quit whining like you're the only one. But another way you can take it this is like this. Whatever it is you struggle with, someone else is struggling with. So pray for them. And by the time we get everybody doing that, everybody will indeed be covered. Okay, so let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Father, by your grace, would you direct our hearts towards someone or something that we should be praying about? And we pray this for the glory of your name because we believe that every challenge is an opportunity <clears throat> to see your greatness, to see the promises of your word fulfilled, and to build and to deepen our faith so that we might be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, we also see every trial and every problem that we face as an opportunity to testify to other people about you and your power, and your love, and your grace, and your presence. 
And I pray, Father, that we wouldn't waste our trials, we wouldn't waste our sicknesses, we wouldn't waste our difficulties, we wouldn't waste anything that we're going through, but we would see in it an opportunity to give you glory, honor, and praise. And forgive us when we say, kind of like we're holding you hostage, that if you'll do this and do this, then we'll praise you. Help us to remember we're to praise you no matter what may be going on in our lives or in the world. And then we praise you even more when we see you as our deliverer and our strength. The cords of death were surrounding me. How many times have we and believers throughout the ages faced that? And yet you delivered us. And I thank you, Father, for the ways that you have saved our physical lives And I thank you for all the people that are too numerous to name that you rescued them by taking them to heaven. And we look forward to being in heaven one day with them to worship and to glorify you. And we pray for people that we know that are lost, that we can't do anything about their salvation. But, oh, sovereign Lord, you surely can. Intervene and bring them to faith in Christ. Bring rebels home. And change relationships. Turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And turn the hearts of the children to their parents. As the book of Malachi says. And we pray Lord that you would do all of this. So that we might be salt. And we might be light in a corrupt world. And we pray that we might be effective. Effectiveness is what we pray for. For the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and um, turn to the book of Exodus. Look in chapter 30. We're going to see about the anointing oil today. But before we do that, I want to read to you. Isaiah had a unique experience, the prophet Isaiah. And he says in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, I saw the Lord. And he describes what he saw. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to see the Lord? Um, maybe, maybe there are some of you who are not saved and you're playing a religious game and seeing the Lord is going to be the most terrifying thing you have ever experienced in your life. And that's why in the book of Amos it says, prepare to meet thy God. And everybody in this room and everybody watching ought to be prepared to meet the Lord, because it might be today. We don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. But even Isaiah, God's prophet, when he saw the Lord, you remember what he said? And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Isaiah thought he was going to die. And you'll notice in there, it wasn't just that Isaiah said, I've got problems. But I mean, I come out of a culture that is so wicked, so sinful, that it has tainted me. And if you will think with me about the culture we live in, and just think about how things slide, and how they move, and how they drift. You ever been to the beach? You ever been out there in the surf and you're playing with your kids and you're having a great time? And then when you look back over toward the shore, you go, where'd our stuff go? And then you look and it's way back yonder. 
How in the world did that happen? You can drift without even know you were drifting. And that's always a constant problem for the people of God. And as we get into this passage in Exodus, <clears throat> God is going to do something that, to me, seems kind of strange. They uh, have been given instructions for the tabernacle. They've been given instructions for all of the furnishings, the two altars, the brazen altar and the golden altar, for the Ark of the Covenant, for all of the tapestries, for the fence around the tabernacle courtyard. But now he comes down and he said, now I want you to make oil. And I want you to make this anointing oil. Now remember, <clears throat> even though we have the instructions for all of these things, they haven't been built yet. This is just the instruction from the Lord. And so the Lord says, now you're going to need the anointing oil. What do I need the anointing oil for? Because even these things, when they are built, they're going to be tainted by people, tainted by the craftsmen, tainted by all of the citizens and what they have donated, and they've got to be consecrated unto the Lord. It's all about holiness. The word holy is a word, whether you read it in Hebrew or Greek, it means to be set apart. So when we say God is holy, we're not so much talking about the fact that he is pure and never sins, okay? That's certainly part of it. But we're saying God is set apart. God is different. He is not like us, and we are not like him. Uh, I wonder sometimes when we say, oh, that person is so godly, if the Holy Spirit's not going, <clears throat> what are you talking about? They're, no, they're nothing like me. And uh, we, in any step that we take toward God-likeness, we're still so far away from Him and what He is. He is completely, totally, and utterly set apart and different for us. Okay? Well, when we talk about these furnishings in the tabernacle, what's the difference between the table of showbread and your dining room table? Well, in terms of construction, maybe not much. In terms of material, yeah, I don't have a golden table. Maybe you do. But when we look at it, go, so could we take this table, and on the days when the priests aren't using it, could I use it in a garage sale? Uh, no, absolutely not. Not that table. Why? It's holy. It's set apart. It's not just any old common thing. It's set apart for worship, right? And so when we talk about these things... We think about the word holiness. We're going to run across that in the text that we read. And I want to make this statement. I want you to think about this while we go through this message this morning. Nothing becomes holy, except God, of course. Nothing becomes holy until it is consecrated and consciously dedicated unto the Lord and His service. So the table that they make and the altar that they make and the candelabra that they make, and the tent that they make, they're just tents, candles, tables, boxes, or whatever, until they consecrate them to the Lord, then they become holy. How did they consecrate it to the Lord? Well, the Lord said, I want you to do it by making an anointing oil. And I want you to make it just so. And I want you to make it and then I want you to use it so that whenever something is anointed, you know we use that word a lot and I don't think we know what it means. When something is anointed, 
that it will become holy. It will become holy. It's not just any old table. It's the table of showbread in the tabernacle, later the temple. It's not any old lantern. Now it is the light that God has shining in the tabernacle. It's not just any old box. It is the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. It's not just a place where we burn our trash. It is the altar of sacrifice unto the Lord. And so they were to make this up, and they were to go, and then they were to anoint everything so that it became holy, consecrated unto the Lord. And so the Bible tells us that as we look at the world that we live in, we ought to be like Isaiah... I dwell, I'm unclean, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And I want you to think about our culture today with us. Abortion, how many millions of children will this country be held accountable for the murder of? When we think about just everyday murder and crime, I'm telling you, even around here, it's just almost every day human remains were discovered. So-and-so was arrested for the murder of their wife or children. Just awful, awful things. Think about the Gabby Petito thing and the Brian Laundry thing and uh, the tragedy of all of that and everything that goes on. It almost doesn't even make headlines anymore. There's a lot that we never hear of and a lot of names we don't know that were murdered even over this weekend, especially in cities like Chicago. Think about the immorality that's going on in the world today. But not just the immorality in the world. What about the immorality in the church? We're so busy trying to take the speck out of their eye when we've got the log in our own eye. And you hear about affairs. You hear about pornography. You hear about homosexuality. You hear about all of those things, even among professing believers. It's amazing and how dare we to judge the world when we need to judge ourselves think about the demise of marriage it doesn't mean anything anymore sex is not reserved for marriage and people are almost proud of it like it's not even expected anymore you hardly ever see a tv show where people get married and then they're in bed together it's always the other way around we turn it around and then we redefine marriage and we redefine genders and all kinds of things that go on apart from what God created us. Think about our education system and think about what our children are learning and what our society believes that dishonors God and leads us to live like animals because after all, we're just highly evolved animals. We're not created in the image of God, so don't worry about it. Do whatever you want to do and yet we don't want to reap the consequences of those things, do we? I heard the other day that Megan Kelly, the uh, journalist, she said that in New York City, her child, I believe she said he was about seven, was asked repeatedly by his teacher, do you still feel like you're a boy? So she's pulled her kids out of the public school system because of that, and I don't blame her a bit. You think about drugs and alcohol. It used to be it was bootleg whiskey and moonshine. It used to be that it was illegal drugs and everything now it's even prescription drugs we can't get anything right and we fight for our rights to do whatever we want to do and then we uh, wonder why so many people end up in the gutter and homeless on the streets and drugs and alcohol are a big part of that 
Nearly every time you hear about a crime, there are drugs involved, alcohol involved. Whenever you hear about murders and rapes or drugs and alcohol involved, and we just can't seem to get a clue. And some of that is because of our pride that we see ourselves as a responsible one. It's not our problem. It's all of their problem. Well, Isaiah said, I'm unclean and I come from an unclean culture as well. Think about pornography when we're thinking about the fact that upwards of 90% of men in America are looking at it and some are addicted. And I may be talking to you even now. Think about what is going on like in Loudoun County, Virginia, where they've been having those school board uprisings over uh, uh, the critical race theory and those kind of things. Well... They also have been the ones that have said that boys can and girls can use the same restrooms, and it's no problem. I think everybody in this room knows that that has the potential to be a big problem. Well, you know what turned out? It was a big problem. There were two junior high-ish age girls raped in a girl's bathroom by a guy who wore a skirt and said he was transgender, and the school board covered it up, and then the candidate for the Virginia governorship, Terry McAuliffe, has the audacity to say, parents, this is a paraphrase, have no reason to poke their nose into the school's business and what their kids are learning. I'm telling you, we are in a mess, and we're like the frog in the kettle. It just begins to boil, and we don't even know that the water is beginning to boil all around us. I mean, it is a terrible, horrible thing. We deny God and His creation, and we dehumanize people in the culture we live in. We have politicians who mandate closings, even of churches, wearing a mask, getting vaccines, and then you see the video of them going to their restaurant, hanging around their people, being in their place, and they sure don't have a mask on, and they don't hold to the same standards. And I don't know why we're shocked by that. Congress has been passing laws for years and decades that always contain an exemption for them and for their staffs. I don't know about you, but I've had about enough of all of this kind of stuff, right? And we look around and we see the corruption that goes on. Politicians that will make laws that really put a hindrance on the average everyday person. But they benefit that senator or congressman when they're out of office. Because they can become a lobbyist or a consultant for that very company. Or they bought stock in it. There's all kinds of things that are going on behind the scenes. Not to mention the fact that they make laws that have 2,300 plus pages in it, and they do that so that, number one, no one can possibly read all of that and vote on it in a couple of days, and number two, because they sneak stuff in there, spending and policies and changes that nobody's going to know about until they're actually implemented. And we look at all of this kind of stuff, and we say, what is going on? Why is the government controlling so much? Why is it spiraling downhill? Why are our kids getting caught up in so much junk and immorality? And what is the answer? And I'm telling you what it is. The Apostle Peter said, judgment must begin in the house of God. And I'm telling you, it's because we as God's people are not holy and we don't care. Let that sink in. 
We are called to be holy. We have been made holy by the sacrifice of Christ. But as far as living holy, we don't care. Now, this is not a plea to go into legalism and stuff like that. This is a plea for you and for me to live holy lives. We shouldn't care how many people come to our church. We ought to care how holy our church is. We shouldn't care how much of the Bible we read this year. We should care about how holy we are because we've applied what we have read. And on and on we could go with that. And so the things and the people of the tabernacle, even those things had to be consecrated, made holy, dedicated, set apart for the use of the Lord before he would use them. So the oil of anointing that we're going to read about was used to make something or someone, they would use it even for kings and for priests, to make them holy, set apart for God's use. So let's read Exodus 30, 34 through 38. Um, excuse me, 22. Uh, yeah, Exodus 30, 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses. That's an important thing there, isn't it? Saying also, take for yourself quality Quality spices, not just anything you find. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon. Sounds good to me. 250 shekels. And 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane. And 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. That means it weighs out by the standard that they kept in the sanctuary. And a hen of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy, there's that word, holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. Some say apothecary. It's a mortar and pestle type thing that a druggist might use or a perfumer might use. It's to be done with skill. And we pick up again. It shall be a, there's the word again, holy anointing oil. Verse 26. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting, because if you don't, it's just a tent. And the ark of the testimony, if you don't, it's just a box. 27, the table, if you don't, it's just a table. And all its utensils, the lampstand and all its utensils, and the altar of incense. Verse 28, the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils and the labor where they would wash their hands and its base. Verse 29, and you shall consecrate them that they may be, here it is again, most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. There's that word again. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be, here's our word again, holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, or just anybody's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. Don't copy it. It's not for you, in other words. According to its composition, it is, there's the word again, holy, and it shall be, here we are again, holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts away, uh, puts any of it uh, on an outsider, 
shall be cut off from his people. God is so serious about this oil that he put the death penalty on it, didn't he? You're not just going to pay a fine. You're cut off if you misuse it. And notice how many times the word holy, 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 holy was on there. How important is that? We yawn at it. The angels are singing it around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. It ought to be important to us. And what does this mean to us as New Testament believers? Well, think about this. There was an order for approaching the tabernacle. You came in through the gate and you went and you offered the burnt sacrifice for your sin at the bronze altar, right? Couldn't go any further until that had taken place. Then you go up and right in front of that, you would wash to cleanse your hands in the bronze labor. And then you would go in to the presence of God if you were the high priest. There was an order to all of this. And it reminds us of the order of, of things here. You cannot worship God until the sacrifice for your sins have been paid. And that's got to be paid by Jesus Christ. He's pictured in that bronze labor. And then you are to live your life in holiness so that you come before the bronze labor to wash, 1 John 1, 9, and be cleansed of your sin. And then you can wash it, worship at the table of incense and at the Holy of Holies because you have been made clean. Sacrifice first, the bronze labor of, uh, next, and then the altar of incense and then the Holy of Holies. That's the way it's all pictured for us and that's the way we approach Christ even now. But consider these. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. There's a the word again. We are to be set apart. Ephesians 4, 24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. There's that word again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be, the church might be, there's our word again, holy and without blemish. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Just in case you think this is really no big deal, and oh, it just doesn't really matter, let this sink in. New Testament, New Testament now. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Is that sinking in? God says, I'm serious about this. You can sing and you can pray and do all of this stuff all you want, but without holiness, without holiness, your prayers and your worship is going to be largely ineffective. Jesus said that you're the salt of the earth. And he said, what good is the salt if it loses its savor? It's good for nothing to be trampled underfoot by men. Boy, are we getting trampled right now. You know why? We're just not very salty. We're not very holy. You can't tell the difference between a person that goes to church and a person that doesn't go to church in most neighborhoods in Oklahoma City. 
doesn't really matter. It's not all that much different. And they look at us and they go, well, you're just like I am, except you go to church. And we moan and we gripe and we make excuses for ourselves and we act like life has been so unfair that God really isn't good to us. And we go around and complain about so much and we're negative about everything. And they look at us and they go, you're struggling like I am. And as all, this, all of a sudden, in my lifetime, it has become fashionable to struggle. Oh, we're just all broken. Oh, we're just all struggling. Oh, we're just all a heap of goo that everybody's walking through. It is true we're all depraved. And it is true that we all sin. And it is true that we are here to help everybody. But when you have that attitude, you're not helping anybody. You're giving everybody an excuse just to lay down and be walked on by the world. We ought to be talking about triumph. We ought to be talking about victory. We ought to be testifying about how the Lord has brought us through. We ought to be testifying that the scars that I bear, these are scars of victory because I have learned and I have grown and I have pressed on. We ought to be, instead of walling around feeling sorry for ourselves, we ought to be putting on the belt of truth and girding up our loins so that we are committed to fighting the battle. We ought to have on the breastplate of righteousness so the righteousness that is on the books of heaven in our lives ought to be working its way out into our lives in holiness. We ought to have the shoes on so we can stand firm of the readiness of the gospel of peace. In other words, we stand firm against the enemy because we know we have peace with God and we have resources for dealing with this wicked world. We ought to have the shield of faith, knowing that whatever the enemy fires at us, they are quenched and they are put out because we believe God and not the temptation of the enemy. We ought to have on the helmet of salvation that protects us from the sword of doubt and discouragement. The enemy swings at us because we have hope in Jesus Christ. This is going to be over one day. We're not just running without end. We are running a race. We're going to cross the finish line. We're going to win the battle. The Lord is coming back. We're going to be in heaven and we're going to be with him and rest from our labors and from all of our battles. And we need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we are to use it because it is alive and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when you talk about surgery, brother, the Word of God will do surgery on you. It will even expose your motives for what you do. That's what God looks at. You see what I'm saying? And so when we look at these things, we realize holiness, Old and New Testament, is important to God because that is one of the attributes of God. He is holy and we are commanded to be holy because He is holy. And so when you think about the altar of bronze, that's for the sinner, which would include us, and the altar of incense is for the cleansed worshiper. So first of all, I would be curious... Are you really born again by trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for your full payment for sin? And have you surrendered to Him as the Lord, the Master of your life? And then secondly, for those of you who have, I'm wondering when is the last time you used 1 John 1, 9 and washed your hands off in that basin, that bronze basin, before you came in 
to try to worship. We've got to get right and we've got to stay right with God. 1 Peter 1.16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And Psalm 96.9 says, oh, worship the Lord, how? In the beauty of holiness. We want to worship the Lord with lights and fog and pyrotechnics. We want to worship the Lord with professionalism, with a kicking band and all of that kind of stuff. And the Lord says, worship me in the beauty of holiness. It doesn't matter if the people of God are not holy. Holiness, holiness is the theme of the anointing oil. Tremble before him, the psalmist said, all the earth. So, number one, let's just make these observations. Holiness is required, it's not optional, and defined by God. I'm sorry, but in this world, you and I cannot redefine morality. We cannot redefine what's right or wrong. We cannot redefine what is good and what is evil. In fact, we're living in Isaiah's prophecy, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Well, brothers, sisters, we are there. That's the world we live in. That's the world that surrounds us. That's the world that entertains us. That's the world that is pressuring us. That's the world that is threatening us. And we've got to wake up to all of that instead of trying to compromise with it. Holiness is required and defined by God. It is a non-optional, non-optional thing. Holiness is not just nice for the super saints. You know, it's uh, interesting this year in football, they call certain players super seniors. That's because they didn't lose a year of eligibility during COVID, so they've got a sixth year. They're super seniors. But when I think about the way that we are, we tend to think that holiness, that's for the super saints. There are no super saints. We are all saints of God. And the word saint is hagios in the Greek, which means holy. That's what we are, and that's what we're called to be. Number two, holiness is non-negotiable. God is not saying, let's, uh, let's talk about this. And I'll give on the sex before marriage thing if you guys will promise not to cuss anymore. And then we'll just kind of do that until we meet in the middle. God doesn't meet in the middle. God says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. It's non-negotiable. And we better get serious about it because we're losing our saltiness and that's why we're being trampled under. Holiness is non-negotiable. And you go down and read in the text we are, God said, here's the spice. Here's how much of the spice. And no, you don't improve on it. This is as secret as the Colonel's 11 herbs and spices, right? This is the Coke formula. And nobody knows except very few people. God says, this is the way I want it. And when are we going to learn that God has spoken to us in his word to tell us how he wants our life? And we better not compromise it or monkey with it. We better live in the way he has told us to live if we want to experience his blessing. Number three, holiness is excellence. Did you notice he said you were to use quality spices and they are to be put together not the way just any old Joe would do it, 
but the way the apothecary would do it, the way the perfumer would do it, with expertise in what we do. And so much of what we do is so haphazard. It is so casual. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just for the church. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just for God. And so we're haphazard in the way we approach God, in the way we pray to God, in the way we read His Word, in the way we apply His Word. And we just don't really care about anything because it's not like it's for somebody important. And the way we would dress, the way we would act, the way we would conduct ourselves in front of somebody important in a job interview is far different than the way that we approach God. We've got to be careful because this is about excellence, not just casual haphazardness. And number four, notice this, holiness is powerful. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle, right? And all of those things. And what is going to happen to them? <clears throat> the Bible says that they will be made holy. You know, we're so afraid of things in the world. We're either compromising with the world or we're terrified by the world as if they are going to make us dirty. They're going to get us and we treat them like the lepers in the New Testament. When the truth of the matter is we ought to be so holy and filled with the word of God that they are terrified that if we touch them, they'll become holy. We ought to be looking at everything in life, redeeming the time. Don't be superstitious about things. Don't be afraid of what the enemy is doing. Be bold and stand up with your armor on, filled with the Spirit of God, and understand this, they are terrified of you. If you ever find out who you are in Christ, if you ever get committed, if you ever get serious about the battle, if you ever start separating yourselves from things that are harmful and the weighing you down, if you ever get effective for Christ, they're terrified that that would happen. And that's precisely what God is wanting us to do. And so we've got to be careful about this and understand that uh, this whole thing, the anointing oil, was not going to be contaminated by whatever was there. It was going to make it holy. We ought to be the ones that are making our marriages holy. That we ought to be the ones that are raising children to be holy. We ought to be the ones that when we come into our workplace, holiness is coming in there. We ought to be the ones that when we cast a vote, it's a vote for holiness. We ought to be the ones that when we pray, that we ought to be like... Uh, the Queen of, uh, of England, or Scotland, pardon me, said about John Knox, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear the armies of Scotland. Well, who's afraid when you pray? Is the enemy afraid when you pray? And is God blessed and pleased when you pray? We are here to make things holy, and we are here to live holy lives in the midst of an unclean people for the glory of our King, not to soil His banner. And fifthly, holiness cannot be faked. God said, if you make it up yourself, it won't be the same. God said, if you take it and you put it in places I didn't prescribe, it won't be the same. It won't be the same. In fact, in fact, he said, you'll be cut off from all Israel. So don't be trying to fake it, in other words. And there are so many people today that they come to church and they're putting on this smile and they're sitting by the wife that they just fought with in the parking lot that they hate and maybe even are planning to divorce. That's happened a time or two, right? And yet they act so godly and so holy. No wonder our kids are rejecting not only us, but they're rejecting our very religion because all they've seen is the fake anointing oil. 
And God said, I'm not going to bless what I've cursed. And don't expect me to. Don't ask me to. Oh God, I know you said don't do this, but I'm going to ask you to bless it anyway. Don't even ask. Don't even ask. I mean, what we are talking about is serious stuff. Well, preacher, should we go get some anointing oil? Well, here's a problem with that. Number one, you're not authorized to make it. And number two, I've seen people do some things with oil that are nowhere, that's nowhere in the New Testament. They just do it because they think it's a ritual. It's kind of magical. It's kind of mystical or something like that. Because I've got some news for you. Anointing doesn't just mean the preacher was fired up and I liked it or the preacher was funny. It doesn't just mean the music was, whoo, man, it was really something today. That's not what anointed means. Anointed means to make something holy. Was it holy? Was it holy? Was it holy? Did it glorify and honor the Lord? And one of the things a lot of people don't realize, do you know what the title of Jesus was? He was the Christ. Well, if you go back to the original language, it's the word Christos. You know what the word Christos means in Greek? The anointed one. Jesus came into this dark, depressing, sinful, self-destructing, headed-for-hell world, and he was the anointed one. No wonder when everybody else was running from the lepers, he touched them. Because for anybody else, you touch a leper, you're going to be a leper too. But when Jesus touched them, the leprosy went away because Jesus is Lord over leprosy. And Jesus came to make us holy and came to put holiness in this world through his body, through the church. He even gave us his spirit, which is called what? Holy. How important is holiness to God? Must be very, very important. In fact, when you were saved and received the Holy Spirit, I've got some good news for you. The Bible says that... Um, I'm going to get caught up here. See, that's what happens when you don't preach with your notes. 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you, okay? You about those who are trying to deceive you. But listen, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You don't need a bottle of oil unless it's a James 5 type thing. But you know what has happened? You. Everywhere you go, you have the anointing of God upon you because God lives within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you so that you can be holy and so that you can bring holiness everywhere you go. So this is a wake-up call. Quit messing around. We're in a war. We're in a battle. And it's a battle not only for the culture, it's a battle for our kids. It's a battle for our grandkids. I don't know whether the country will survive or not, but I know one thing. 
Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he's not talking about just churches in general. He's talking about his true church. Better make sure you're a part of that. Better make sure. So how is your holiness, I guess is the question today. How is your holiness? Not your legalism, not any of that kind of stuff. But your holiness, not your judgmental attitude toward everybody else, but your personal holiness. How is it? How is it? Because you and I, along with the Holy Spirit, are the oil, are the oil that touches and makes things holy. That's why we redeem the time, because the days are evil. That's why I take October 31st, and I'm not scared of it anymore. Because the devil's no stronger on Halloween. Because if he were, that would mean God is less sovereign. And that can't be. That can't be. And I can't stop it. And I don't like it. And I don't participate in it in that way. But I have changed my mind. I can put some anointing oil on everybody that comes through by passing out tracts. And putting them in their bags. I can redeem, buy back that time and say, Hey, Satan, you don't get to have this day. This is the day the Lord has made. And I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in it. And I'm going to do something that will promote holiness on this. But don't just do it on special occasions. That's the way you're supposed to wake up in the morning, every morning. That's the way you're supposed to live. That's the way you're supposed to eat your bologna sandwich at lunch. To the glory of God. Isn't that what Paul said? That's the way you're supposed to live. That's the way you're supposed to parent. That's the way you're supposed to drive. You stupid idiot. Yeah. Yeah, that's called sin. That's called sin. I'm experienced in that sin, right? Think about all of that. Think about our complaints. Nothing's ever good enough. Our clothes, our house, our cars... Nothing is ever good enough for us. What is that saying to the world? What is that saying to our children? And oh, church, what does that say to God? Heavenly Father, that's all I need to say. Please bless your word. and Bless the saints of God as they apply it and you work in their lives. Save the lost. For the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen.